Check, 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 check. Begin Podfix Network transmission. In three, two, one. Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fish Nerds, a show about fish, fishing and eating fish. I'm Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fish Nerd, Licensed Fishing Guide, your best friend. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. This episode is brought to you by Boat Setter. Boat Setter is a go-to platform for all types of boating experiences, including fishing. You can book fishing charters or guides, including the Fish Nerds Guide Service, or rent boats for your own to go out. All types of boats and charters are available, from bass boats and pontoons to center consoles and offshore sport fishers. Visit BoatSetter.com or download the Boat Setter app to plan your next adventure and get 5% off when you book with code FISHNERDS. We do appreciate their support. We had a little incident this week where I messed up this deal. I'm going to tell you about that in a minute, but we do really value Boat Setter. Please support them. I'll tell you about that in the middle of the show. It's kind of an interesting story about a guy who makes a podcast in his basement. Tonight the podcast, speaking of podcasting, we got a good show for you tonight. We have Steve Angers from North Country Angler Fly Shop joining us. I make a trip to his fly shop to talk about what it means to stock uh, hatchery trout over wild brook trout. What does it mean to the fish? And what did he do about it? And of course, we'll talk about his book as well. Then we're joined by Andrew Lewin from Speak Up for the Ocean Blue podcast. We're going to talk about the horrors of dragging sharks into freshwater rivers and what is the 30 by 30 environmental plan? That's where, you, where we're going to protect 30% of the ocean and 30% of land. Is it possible? Is it feasible? What are our opinions? We'll get in deep on that. But first, let's jump right into it with Steve Angers, North Country Angler Fly Shop. Okay, fish nerds, I am... So happy, and it's your lucky day, because I am taking the podcast on the road. I am in North Conway, New Hampshire, at North Country Angler Fly Shop with owner Steve Angers. Steve is author of The Fly Fishing New Hampshire's Secret Waters, and therefore hated by fishers everywhere. Hi, Steve. Hey, Clay. How are you? I haven't seen you in a while. <laughs> no, it's been like two days. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but you know, we'll, we'll talk about your book in a little bit, because I think people should know about your book. But I want to talk about something else, because you came across the news. You were a big deal here in New Hampshire because you did some important brook trout work. Let's talk about that. What would you do? Well, uh, New Hampshire is one of those places that has a lot of wild brook trout. And uh, historically, uh, New Hampshire fishing game has stocked. If there was water in a stream, they put a stock trout there. And so uh, one of my missions since returning here to the valley has been to eliminate that stocking over wild brook trout. Let me stop you for a second. So a lot of people in New Hampshire fishing up here, they talk about wanting to catch native brookies. I talked to Fishing Game about this, and they said, we don't really call them natives anymore. Is that because of the stocking on top of natives? I think it is because there's no way to know what the genetics are right now. There isn't good history of what the native brook trout genes are. And unless you wanted to go to a bunch of expense to actually start uh, genotyping the brook trout that are wild now, 
there's no way to really determine whether or not they're native. Right, they're kind of like mutts. Now, I was fishing up in Maine, and I caught a brook trout on the Kennebec River that didn't look like a brook trout I've seen anywhere. And I talked to a biologist there. He said that's a Kennebec strain of brook trout. We don't have those individual strains in New Hampshire we can recognize because they're all mutts. Well, we do have some of those strains. Where? I'm not going to tell anybody. <laughs> That's, that is a true secret water where we do. But like you said, when you're fishing in a water body and you catch a brook trout that looks totally different from anything you're used to seeing, it most likely is its own strain of brook trout. That's really cool. So anyway, so you went to fishing game to a lot of meetings to make a case to slow down or stop the stocking of, of uh, hatchery fish on top of the wild fish. What was that process like? Um, well, anybody that's done anything with bureaucracies knows that there are always people that are calling and complaining about something. And um, I didn't take the approach of going to the New Hampshire Fishing Game Commission meetings and complaining. I took the position that I am here to help make things better. So more like building an idea from the bottom up, trying to bring people with you as opposed to causing a contrast or going against the grain. Right. I mean, it's just human nature that when somebody comes after you and after your position is to put up your guard and to block all incoming, incoming bombs, so to speak. And... Um, my experience having done this type of work for 25 years is you get a lot more done by collaborating than you do by confrontation. Yeah, that's totally true. Okay, so you built this kind of collaboration. Tell me about like your first meeting. What was, what was the outcome there? What happened? Um, basically, Fish and Game laughed in my face mm -hmm. and said, we'll see. Right. And the fishing game to, in, in New Hampshire, we are not well supported through tax dollars. So fishing game is funded through fishing taxes, through buying your license. And there's a there's a, like a, a, a hidden tax on all the fishing gear we buy in the state of New Hampshire. So their incentive to get fish everywhere you fish, to get trout specifically everywhere you fish, is pretty high because they want to sell fishing licenses and gear, right? Right. Correct. But the position that we took was... There is a growing number of anglers that want to fish for wild brook trout. And because of the increased demand on uh, water bodies, the state, because of econ economics, can't produce enough trout to meet the demand in the high traffic areas. So our position was take these trout from the low traffic areas and move them to the high traffic areas and then let the wild trout do their thing. Right, because you can, you can take the most popular fishing spots and put all this trout there, keep the anglers happy, and then those who want to go out and drive up into the White Mountains somewhere to that secret trout water, they can go there and get that wild fish and, and be happy that they bought your book. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I don't know if we're segueing to the not book, yet, yet, book yet. yet or not, but um, yeah, it, it, it's true. I have to say that probably a third of the folks that come into the shop, their first question out of their mouth is, where do I go to catch a wild brook trout? Mm -hmm. So it definitely is a growing thing. But conversely, since I've added some spin fishing gear to the shop, I also get a lot of regular anglers. And so part of the collaboration versus confrontation is to um, do something for all trout anglers, not just 
fly trout anglers or tenkara trout anglers, but to make sure that it's satisfactory for everyone that wants to catch a trout. Right, and the and the the beauty of this whole thing is is the wild trout is one more it can be used for marketing. You know, so like great, you can go and catch all those stocky brookies anywhere you want. Have a great time. We want you to do that. But then when they get good at that, now the level up challenge happens. Okay, now you go for the boss man. Let me tell you how to catch a wild fish. And now people are going to buy more gear. They're going to spend more money. They're going to drive more. They're going to book hotels. They're going to go camping. All that drives the fishing economy. Exactly. And the fishing economy is something that I think the state of New Hampshire has only begun to tap because um, you, I mean, the average fly rod is $500. That is bonkers that is insanity is. to me but people do it and they're happy to do it yep they do and so um you know anglers have money they have money to spend um they aren't going to walmart buying a six dollar tube and a 30 pack of bud lights and hitting the river some are <laughs> <laughs> i guess i should watch the generalizations but <laughs> But, you know, your, your average angler, I mean, even if he wants to go to Walmart, not North Country angler, if he's going to buy a rod, a tackle box, some fishing lures, some hooks, some bobbers, I mean, you can't get out of, the, out of there for less than 100 bucks. No, and that's true. And you'll see that this year, especially because of last year, there's a, there's a shortage in fishing gear. That shortage is still out there. And so people are spending more. But now the niche market, private fly shops like yours have tons of gear. Well, I wouldn't say that's necessarily true. All the gear. We, 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 have, we have gear, but there's still shortages. Yeah. There are still shortages, and um, I've had to be a little proactive. I've bought three times as many fly rods as I normally buy this time of year just to have product for when people come up here to fish. Right, and this year is going to be, last year was a really busy summer for New Hampshire because of COVID-19. People who usually traveled overseas or flew on vacations took a ride up here from the Boston area to go fishing, go on vacation, spend their money. People who had vacation properties here stayed home for the most part. So we had different people visiting us. This summer, we know for sure outside activity is safe. Vaccine numbers are way up in New England, especially. We're doing great getting people vaccinated. And people who came last year for the first time might come back. So we anticipate New Hampshire to be insane this year for anglers. Exactly. And I mean, I've heard more talk about bass. There have been some giant bass caught in the ponds here south of the valley, uh, over in the lakes region. So you don't have to be a trout angler to come to New Hampshire and uh, enjoy the opportunities that we have because they're across the board. Right. I'm going to cycle back through this brook trout conversation. Right? Okay. Your first meeting laughed at you. You went to a bunch of meetings. How long did this take? Uh, I started going to Fishing Game Commission meetings in July of 2017, so almost four years. That's a, that's a really slow roll. They describe bureaucracy as like steering a train. It really, nothing happens fast. So let's say your first one, they laughed at you. Two years in, were they starting to come around? Oh, yeah. Two years in, we were having PowerPoint presentations with the you know Inland Fisheries Department. Uh, and we, by the way, when I say we, that's Trout Unlimited. Uh, Trout Unlimited has spearheaded this uh, this change in trout management. So, um, yeah, no, two years in, we got PowerPoint presentations, and we got the old, oh, interesting, oh, interesting, 
And, you know, as happens a lot, I've learned as happens a lot in life, sometimes you have to make your idea their idea. Right. I, I just, you, you must be married. I am. <laughs> <laughs> that's your basic marital advice right there. Make it their idea. Uh, so that's, that's really great. So now that's two years in. People are starting to come along. They're getting on board. No big changes have happened yet, but they're starting to get it. Now, was it two weeks ago this all fell together for you? Well, no, the big change was there was a change in leadership. Uh, the executive director's contract ran out, and a new executive director was hired. And the old executive director was very hatchery-focused, and the new executive director is very angler-focused. Interesting. And you see a new person come in, and you go, new blood, right? Because you're like a vampire. Well, well, on one on one side, yes, but on the other side, it's oh no, are we going back to square one? Oh, because you don't know the history of that person until you meet them, and it turns out they were angler focused, and they, that means they were more receptive to what you were pitching. Correct, correct. So, so that whole thing has been a super positive um, process. Glad to have a new executive director, Scott Mason, super guy, mm -hmm. uh, wants to do what's right by the angling community and the hunting community. So. Um, you know, it's just a breath of fresh air there. That's good. Diane Timmons, who's our cold water fisheries biologist, just started cranking out the numbers, and everything that was done was done scientifically. I think having a database science approach always helps because the fuzzy, we love our fish, that gets people to like attention, but doesn't get people to make a move. Right. And so, you know, um, I don't want to insult Doc Martin, so you can check with her and have her correct me, but. Um, there's GIS programs that actually classify watersheds, cold water, uh, mixed, which is cold water part of the year, warm water part of the year, and then warm water all year round. And um, Diane was able to, to uh, work those databases to get an even clearer picture of water that was good for wild trout, water that was good for brook trout, and then water that's good for our rainbow trout and brown trout. So not only is where fish are being planted being massaged, but the type of fish that's being planted was also massaged using scientific data. Well, that's good because New Hampshire's history of stocking fish, not just trout, is all over the place. I mean, there's there's the, the history of New Hampshire. They've thrown Chinook salmon in Lake Winnipesaukee, and they just throw these fish in and watch them all die. And then that's our history. That's our that's our that's our soul. <laughs> so <laughs> that's our, our roots. So that's really good. Um, so all this happened, and then tell me about the, the vote to make the change. Where'd that feel like? Um, so Diane did the presentation to the Fish and Game Commission. And asked their question, had them ask their questions. You know, obviously, some people who that have been going to Little Brook XYZ for the last 30 years and catching a handful of stock trout aren't happy about it because now Stream XYZ is actually classified as a wild brook trout stream. But there was very little of that. And um, it's not so much that things that are changed in fisheries have to be voted on by the commission, but, you know, Fishing is still a social activity, and so you have to make sure that the, the masses, the angling masses, aren't going to rise up against what these new scientific-based decisions are. And it was great to see that the commissioners um, all understood and all bought into the program, and no, not one of them said, oh, no, you're not doing that in my county. So, so I think it's an upswell. I think... Anglers 
have learned, especially over COVID, where they had a lot more time to check waters out, to see what was available, to learn about what the opportunities are in New Hampshire, um, that, that uh, you know, every, everything's timing, and the timing is just right. And you did it. Congratulations. That's great news. So now they'll be changing how they stock fish, taking a more careful approach, and there'll be less stocking on top of wild fish. Now, there's no process for moving already stocked fish that are there. Those guys get to stay and be caught or become wild, right? Right. Well, um, when it comes to the majority of the stocked fish, again, they're grown for anglers to come and catch and take home. They're not grown to actually survive in the wild. So I'm not saying that there aren't... That there aren't, um, that there aren't trout that stock trout that hold over and become bigger, but it's a minuscule number. It's a very small number because most of those fish are grown to last one fishing season. Okay, segue time, because you also, Steve Angers from from North Country Angler Fly Shop, you also wrote a book called Fly Fishing New Hampshire's Secret Waters which is all the waters that no one's supposed to know about. But now in your book, you've got the coordinates of every fish in the state. How's this been going? Uh, the sales have been great. People have really enjoyed the book. I had one guy email me and say that he went to one of the ponds in the book and had never caught. He'd been fishing New Hampshire for 50 years and had never caught as big a trout as he caught in one of the secret waters. So that, that's the good news. I mean, it's kind of a ha-ha thing. The book's called Secret Waters because that's a series of books that's being put out by the History Press. And so when they called me to ask me to write the book, I told them that there were no secret waters in New Hampshire, but they said that didn't really matter. Well, everything's a secret until you know about it, right? So there are a lot of people who don't know all the spots in here. So to them, it's a secret, right? So that's how that works. But so does this... I haven't read the books because I'm not a very good friend. But... um, (laughs) So this has the waters. Does it have any tips, tricks? What's, what's, what's in there? What's the content? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. The, um, I start with a little, I, I intersperse the book with little tales of my fishing escapades through the years. And uh, the beginning of the book does talk about the techniques, the flies, the equipment that you need, whether you're fishing moving water or still water. So, um, you know, just to give you all the basics before we get into exactly what waters you want to go to and, uh, and how to approach those waters to be successful. All right, so I'm going to ask you two more questions. This is not quite book-related, but people can get the book at your website, North Can- northcountryangler.com. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask you two questions. Mm-hmm. In the ponds, in June, it's early June, mm-hmm. water's like 60 degrees, mm-hmm. number one fly people are using right now. Right now they are using a... Um, Hendrickson Emerger. What does that even mean? <laughs> so the Hendrickson is uh, one of our popular mayflies here in the valley, and uh, the Emerger is the one that gets stuck in the surface film trying to break out of its shuck so it can expand its wings and fly up in the air and mate. So they see a, they see a bug about to pop out of the surface of the water, and they go, I'm going to eat it before it gets a chance to reproduce. Exactly, and it's usually a big splash when the fish does that. Right, and we know that fish have notoriously bad aim, so that's a fun fly to fish because they're going to be splashing around your fly and missing it, but all that just excites you for that next cast and get out there. Right, you see that you see that splash, and you throw your emerger right next to the splash, and they'll circle right back and take it. Right, because they're hungry, and they're going to eat, they're going to eat 
emerger after emerger, so get yours out there. Okay, so next question. So that's ponds. Mm -hmm. Okay, now we're talking rivers. Mm -hmm. Number one fly right now in a clear water stream in New Hampshire. I go with the Copper John. Or describe a Copper John to me. Okay, so a Copper John has a body that's made with copper wire. The original Copper John was made just with that copper-colored wire, but they're now so also available in red, in green, in chartreuse, in blue, in orange. And so there's a wide variety of colors of Copper Johns that, uh, that you can use in the cold water streams right now. And the reason they're so effective is our bug life is just waking up, and so those fish are looking for these um, nymphs to crawl up on the rocks before they swim up through the water column to hatch. Perfect. Yes, because I would be, for me, I'd be just throwing mop flies all day. So good to know there's some other choice out there. Uh, Steve Angers from North Country Angler Fly Shop. His book, Fly Fishing New Hampshire's Secret Waters, available at northcountryangler.com. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Clay. Good to see you and stop by the shop anytime. I just may. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Steve. Appreciate your time today. And now let's get back into it with another ad from Boat Setter. Do you own a boat? <laughs> Do you want to make money from your boat? Boat Setter is the go-to platform for all types of boating experience, including fishing. It's also a way for charters to grow their business or for boat owners to rent out their boats to make money. And we like money. If you sign up to list your boat for rent or charters, tell Boat Setter that Fish Nerds sent you and their team will send you a free swag package when your boat listing is complete. Visit BoatSetter.com or download the BoatSetter app to plan your next adventure and get 5% off when you book with the code FISHNERDS. That means your boat can make you money when you're not using it. Now, let me tell you the story about how I almost ruined my deal here with BoatSetter, and they've been very generous and kind with me. So we use MailChimp as our mail client, and we have an email list on there. And I don't, I don't touch it. For years, I've had it set up so when, when our podcast goes out, the RSS feed travels through the magic of space and time and into the MailChimp's bananas. The MailChimp eats the bananas, and it poops out an uh, email to you to tell you a new podcast is out. That list had 5,000 people on it, and I was pretty happy to see that number. But I've never looked at a single name on the list. I, don't, I didn't see any, any reason to do that because I didn't... I didn't actively run email campaigns. I just did a weekly RSS feed. But the deal I had with BoatSetter was to send out an email blast with all kinds of stuff for the listeners to grab onto. And I did that, and then I noticed, and then BoatSetter BoatSetter also noticed, that of those 5,000 emailers, like 4,700 of them were what's called a spam bot. So they were all fake emails from China and from the Philippines, faking out my account. So what I sold Boat Setter for an advertising package was not accurate. So we've, we've worked out the details. We figured it all out. And they've been very, very generous. And I really do appreciate them. Um, and, and they're literally the only, um, the only people who have been on my show before who have done really well and come back to us. And I do value that and appreciate it. And uh, I couldn't thank them enough. They used to be, the, the, the two guys I deal with used to run Fisher Guiding. And then they got acquired acquired by BoatSetter. You've heard them on the show a few weeks ago, uh, and they're doing really well. I'm really proud of those guys. So BoatSetter.com, thank them for supporting the fish nerds. We do appreciate it. 
Uh, and I'm, I'm just a guy in my basement working things out and making mistakes, and they get it, and I appreciate that. BoatCenter.com, use the code FISHNERDS and save 5% off. Let's get into it with Andrew Lewin and speak up for the Ocean Blue podcast right now. You ready to talk about oceans? No. <laughs> no, we're just not going to talk. We're going to talk. Hell about no! Land. Yeah, I'm done. I'm talking about talk sand. About Let's talk about composting. <laughs> sand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I've done that before on this podcast, and we don't worry about that. We've done that before. Um, but I'm welcome back. It's been a while since we've had you back. Last week you were like completely booked, and I'm a last minute booker, mm-hmm. and you were completely booked. Uh, and you told me you're like, look, if I if I want to keep the wife happy, I mean, I'm gonna, I can't do interviews every night. And I had an interview done. Like you were doing an interview every night, or or some kind of podcasting every you, night. You know so how it that's, goes. That's like kind of crazy, Andrew. People would say to you, like you make you make a podcast where you're three a week now. Three a week, yeah. yeah so yeah. and and people ask you, you know, how do you not run out of content? And the truth is, there's no end to content when you're talking fish, fisheries, oceans. True. It doesn't run out. There's a never-ending stream of things to talk about, and so many people who want to talk about it. So it just goes on. And I have more content than I can produce right now. I'm, I'm sitting on hours and hours of audio that I have no time That's awesome. to edit. Yeah, it's, it's a good problem. <laughs> yeah, It's a good problem to have, but it's also, I see how it gets overwhelming, <laughs> too, as someone who's edited a lot of podcasts. Once it gets ahead of you, you're just like, oh, my God, I have hours and hours and hours worth of editing to mm-hmm. do, and I just don't have the time to edit, right? That's where it becomes a, that, That's where it becomes the problem. I know, and now now I've got a full time job. Nice nice problem to have. Yeah, now I've got a job, and that's right. Congratulations! But this this is this is big because this job you got this job because of podcasting. So why don't you? I know this is not an episode about podcasting, but let people know in the speak up for the Ocean Blue audience what you are doing right now. Well, so I've been podcasting. Gosh, uh, since two thousand twelve or thirteen. Um, right. and, and a couple of, well, a couple of years ago, the local radio station up here needed a voice guy and they knew me, they knew about me and they called me, cold called me one day and recruited me to be what's called a utility person at the radio station, which means I was working on three radio stations doing voice work and audio editing. And it was part time. Uh, I was on, I was on air a lot, but not live very often. You're mostly just pre-recording right. you know, stuff. And then, uh, two weeks ago. I got offered a full-time utility gig, same job I was doing, but just like a lot more work, which I accepted. And then before I even got a chance to take to get into the full-time start date, uh, our we have a local radio station here called Magic 104, which is the number one morning radio show in the whole state of New Hampshire, where I live. And uh, the DJ quit for because he got recruited by another bigger station, and I got offered his job. So now I am program director and Magic Morning live DJ, the drive time DJ, you know, the yuck it up guy on the radio from 6 to 9 a.m. every day. Love it. And it's, it's top 40 music. So it's like music I don't know well. Dua Lipa <laughs> and Lil Nas X and SZA and Billie Eilish and all that stuff. Yeah. So I've got to learn. I've got to learn to appreciate music I avoided for a long time. Right. Yeah. I don't think it's bad well, music. That- it's just music I don't know. So... Do your kids listen to that music? Or no. Do my kids listen to that type of music? Yeah, mine, no. mine are like so, uh, classic rock kids. I can't even... Right. And they get mad when I turn music up too loud. I'm like, you guys are such squares. I raised <laughs> the most square kids <laughs> on the planet. Turn it down, Dad. Names are going to complain. I'm like, but it's a great song. Oh, man. Yeah. 
Oh man, top forty like on my uh, Alexa in my kitchen is always playing. Uh, although my kids are are getting more into like the the old school hip hop because that's what that's what my wife and I listen to, and then reggae and when you say Latin old music, school hip hop, tell me what you mean. Yeah, give me name some. Well, more. for them it's nineties. Oh, look at you! But for me, it's like Going early eighties, like Run DMC and. Dougie Fresh and the Get Fresh yeah. Crew and all that. Game. Yes, LL Cool J. <laughs> uh, LL Cool yeah, J. Beastie this Boys. LL Cool J. This week inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, he deserves it. I love that guy. Yeah, I watch great. NCIS Los Angeles because of him. I think he's one of the best guys uh, in the world. But Is anyway, yeah. uh, I'm so happy you got that job because you know it's it's always interesting because. When I started podcasting, I've had so many opportunities, including like TV shows, because of my podcast. And there's a mutual friend of ours and a great podcaster named Dave Jackson who uh, talks about podcasting all the time. But he has a a sort of a, uh, I guess, a segment in his podcast where it's Mm -hmm. like, because of my podcast, I've had all these opportunities. And you hear everybody have these opportunities. But it's really nice when one of my good friends who does podcasting is able to get a, a full time job doing like the morning show. I think a lot of people love to do that and uh i look forward to hearing more about it because you just started this week so you're still in training i guess it's, yeah it's a lot of work i would imagine it's it well the, it's 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 weird it's a lot of, it feels like sciencing because i have to right. i have to mine the charts for data to find out right what music they're playing around the country keep a spreadsheet of what's being played and i determine the top 40 songs for our region based right. on all this data so I have to work with, yeah. uh, it, so it feels like sciencing and in a lot of ways it is in, and knowing what people like are going to database w- management. Basically. It is. And knowing what people are going to want to listen to and yeah. tracking it. And it's, it's a lot of science. So, yeah. So are you, now I have to admit, you are the, the, uh, chief fish operator at, uh, fish nerds podcast. Is there going to be fishing news on, on your radio show? Well, it might sound like this. News, news, fish in the Everybody loves the fish in the news. Of course there will be. I love that song. Yeah. <laughs> I love that song. It's such a fun song. You got to put that on the air. I think people will love that. Oh, I think I, mean, I will. in New Hampshire. People yeah. must love fishing in New Hampshire, right? Well, yeah. And and everyone knows, because I talk at, on the radio, you know, I'm, even on my voice work I do, I always sneak in a fish story every day. So people know. People know. We have another yeah. DJ who skis all the time. He always talks skiing. It's okay. <laughs> you just be yourself. People People like to know who you are. They don't want you to pretend yeah. to be somebody else. So I like to fish and talk about fish. Agreed. So I'll do that. Yeah. Yeah. But I also I love, love talking about Kanye it. West too. And that's genuine. Of like, course. So I'm happy to now, do now, that if you can too. Just mal- like meld them together. I think that would be invite awesome. Kanye Look, to go if fishing. You need someone to- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fishing with Kanye. Yeah. If you need a, a, a marine biologist on your, uh, on your show, just let me know. I can get up early and we can be on, we can be on the air together. I'll have you on. There's lots to talk about. That'd be awesome. Yeah, let's do it. It'll course, be fun. It'll be, fun. it'll be great. I know top 42. I can be, well, maybe not this top 40. I don't know. These days, I don't know you, all, you, all my top 40. You'll work it out. It's not that complicated. There's like five artists. <laughs> I do know pop culture, though. I watch a lot of pop culture stuff. All right. Uh, that's like my my uh, 
my guilty pleasure. Uh, but anyway, we're here to actually talk about oceans because oceans. oceans talk Friday. Yes. Um, and what we usually do is we pick a story. We don't tell each other what the story is beforehand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we kind of surprise each other and get each other's takes on each story. So we're going to have two stories. We're going to start with yours. Okay. Uh, what is your story that you brought today? Well, I, I want to talk about this viral photo of a Tampa Bay man who had a tiger shark. Uh, that he dragged oh, right. up a river. Um, and it's kind of an important conversation to have. And, you know, you can, you can, it almost looks fake, the, the photo. Yeah. If you haven't seen the photo yet, just Google uh, Florida man, tiger shark, and a river. And it's a picture that's like, it's like a teenage kid it's holding, young, isn't he? Yeah, holding like a yeah. six or seven foot tiger shark in a river with lots, lots of canoers and kayakers in his background taking photos. And uh, it's a viral photo of a tiger shark that launched an investigation from Florida's Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission. The FWC issued notices to appear in court for two men following the incident that happened on Saturday in the uh, uh, Chazowitska River, I can't even say it, involving a tiger shark with a <laughs> rope around its tail. Uh, so they tied a rope around its tail and dragged it upstream. According to the publication, this is the Citrus County, of course, Citrus County Chronicle, According to the publication, the two men, who have not been identified, dragged the shark at least four miles upstream for a photo op. One of the photos showing a Lutz resident, Joseph Wilson, dramatically holding the tiger shop shark has gone viral. Wilson told the Chronicle that him and his friends were just hanging. That's not a quote that's got bad English. But anyway, <laughs> that him and his friends were just hanging out at the head of the springs when the boat showed up with the shark. Um, so... So the kid with the picture is not the one who dragged the shark upstream. He just wanted right, to get one. Right. I've never seen one he before. He just wanted to get a picture yeah. with it. Here's the quote. I've never seen one before, said Wilson. He had a rope tied to his tail, and it was still in the water. I said, can I take a picture of it? And he said, sure. I probably picked it up for about 10 seconds and then put it back in the water. Uh, another onlooker of the springs told Fox 13 that crowds of people were gathering around to take photographs with the shark. So it was, it was calm, and everyone was doing it. And all the onlookers... T- Started photographing the shark. Started photographing the shark. This is the words in the article. Oh, wow. Uh, it started tormenting it, holding it in different positions and taking photos. Um, so, yeah, that that's the game here. And so, what do you do about stuff like this? This kid's in trouble. People who drag the shark upstream should be in trouble. How do you prevent this kind of behavior? Well, I mean... This is this is the thing. We've seen this happen actually before. I'm not sure if you remember, but a couple of years ago, I covered it on the podcast where we talked about these these um, these kids. Again, it was like young adults. Yeah, we say that kids. Would, we're they, talking 22 year yeah, olds. We, yeah, they're talking 22 year olds. They're kids to us. Um, but they would old. they would it, exactly they would catch a shark and they would tie it to the end of their boat and they would go like at high speeds mm-hmm. and the and the shark would be basically popping off the top of the of the sea surface and they got they like you know and they would put up photos on Instagram and so forth and of course they got charged and not only they got charged but they got threatened they were like they had to have security at their house and people were protesting outside their house and they were getting death threats and so forth they kind of did it to themselves by posting the pictures thinking this is awesome i mean first of all this is what i think the guy holding the tiger shark mm-hmm. not a smart thing to do like it's a tiger shark. They right. have razor sharp teeth, you right. know, and this is a good five footer, maybe eight feet. Yeah. Is that, did they say what, how long it was? I think um, it looks to be about five to eight feet. Yeah. It's probably five or six feet long. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big mouth. That's a good size mouth on a tiger that could essentially 
bite a couple fingers off, if not a hand, if you get it stuck in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. Um, so not a, a good thing to do if it was, especially if it was still alive. Yeah. Uh, also bringing it into fresh water, not a smart thing to do. You're tormenting the shark. I mean, just from an ethical point of view, it's just not a smart thing to do. No. There's nothing smart about this. No, there's nothing. And like, like I get the instinct. I, I think it has a lot to do with our modern Facebook, Instagram culture, right? Everyone's right. searching for that like and that viral picture. And there's something in our in the pleasure center of our brain that goes off, it fires off when we get a like on Facebook. And I think yeah. everyone's driven to that for some reason. There's no financial gain. There's no profit. There's nothing but a computerized thumbs up that does something to our brains. And, yeah. and I think that's all it is. And it's really unfortunate because... You know, humans aren't good to animals as a rule, especially sharks. We're not right. we're not known for being good shark caretakers. Uh, the good news is, though, on the Facebook that this went viral on the page, it went viral on almost all the comments were negative. Like, what the hell are right. you doing? Which is positive. Yeah. That's good because people I've, who had common sense commented. Basically. Yeah. Well, I, 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 you know, Andrew, I, I actually don't like to use the phrase common sense ever because okay. it doesn't mean anything. Like. Like it's not common. Common it, sense isn't common anymore. Well, because it, it doesn't mean anything. It, your what's common sense regionally doesn't make any sense. You know that whole region of Florida. Right. It could be common sense when you see a shark, you kill it and drag it upstream. That might be what right. they all do in that region of True. of the Setsukohani River or whatever. So I hate to use the phrase common sense because it's your common sense is very different than mine. Um, True, but. Just don't be a jerk. <laughs> so. Well, and I think what this does too is like, you're right. Like I think a lot of people, there's a little bit of a competition on photos on any kind of social media, right? Like you can't just get away with just posting photos of your family or your dog or your cat or your pet of some sort. You want to make a big splash. It's almost like now, you know, I don't know if you've noticed, but in comedy now, the shock comedy is the dominant comedy because it really exudes this, or extracts this really big um, uh, reaction, right? Yeah. So on social media, when you come across a picture like this, where someone's holding a, a, a five to six foot tiger shark, you're like, wow, like this is crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it also kind of, it also kind of exposes, you're right, the ethics of people in different regions of what they think is okay for mm-hmm. animals and what they don't think is okay. And I think it really exposes sort of, a lot of people's thought process would be like, it's actually like this guy, this kid thought it's actually okay to pick up this tiger shark and, and show it to get a picture with it and post it online. He actually thought there was not from a legal standpoint, but, but just from an ethical standpoint, he actually thought that this was okay. Right. Well, uh, the truth is, where, the truth is a 20 something year old kid like that, they're still in adolescence. So the way right. you're thinking doesn't make any sense to them. Because right. they're 22 years old. And the other thing is that you get group think. So you have all these people, yes. lots of them are picking the shark up and taking pictures. Well, those guys are doing it. I need my picture too. I don't want to be left out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it It just, it It always, it shocks me. Like it, it, it surprises me, but sorry, it surprises me, but doesn't shock me when I see things like this. It disappoints me huge because I'm like, People, there were a number of people who thought this was right. Like the, there's a person behind in the canoe with a family who's taking a picture of this guy holding the shark. So he's like, instead of maybe that guy said something, maybe he didn't. 
Um, but they took a picture to be like, look at this guy. He's actually doing this kind of thing. Right. Um, obviously, they're kayaking in, a, in what looks to be like an estuary. Uh, so they think, oh, it's, it's really you don't really see tiger sharks in estuaries because mm-hmm. you don't. Um, but then there's the fact that somebody dragged this up and tortured this animal going through, you know, fresher water as they went upstream right. and made four, mi- even worse four miles. Right. That yeah. is torturous. For, and and for you sure. know, there's probably zero chance that shark survived. Oh yeah. No, there's no way that that shark. Survived. Yeah. I know, I know tiger Especially sharks being held out of the water. Yeah. I know tiger sharks can handle fresh water, but not like that. Yeah, not that much. Yeah, not that I know. I don't. I was don't. It, was know it if tiger? They can handle There's been some some settings bull, of bull, bull shark. I, I I I stand corrected. Then yeah, they're screwed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Essentially, like that thing is being tortured with with fresher water, um, and so its whole physiology is going to be thrown off. Right, even look at the um, picture. If I'm wrong. Even look at the picture. Sorry, I was going to say if I if I if I'm wrong, I'm sure my shark enthusiasts that are watching that are listening will be able to tell me if I'm wrong or not. Yeah, Sorry, it, what were you saying? and it's weird too. Like. You don't really think about sharks. You think about like, like if you saw a, a cat that was injured, you would recognize pain in that animal. If you've recognized, right. but looking at this picture of shark, I can recognize the pain in this animal. It looks yeah. in pain. It, it, yeah. it shows, it doesn't look like a, yeah, I wasn't going to anthropomorphize. I was letting you do that because you're the scientist. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, but it, yeah. It's unemotionally avail- unavail- It's emotionally unavailable right now. That's right. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like, I don't, I don't, hey guys, I don't think I like this very much. Yeah. Yeah. That poor shark. I feel terrible for it. And, uh, you know, yeah. the people who did this have killed other sharks. This Absolutely. Is, this is the what thing. they do. This is do. not the first time this has happened. This is the first time they've been, you know, quote unquote, caught right. with it. Or maybe, who knows, like the last people who got charged that, that I covered a couple of years ago, they had multiple incidences on their page. This, The ones that went viral were just the ones that got, that caught on. Yep. And so I think that's where it becomes, you know, a real problem. And this is where like the punishment comes in. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of the times the punishment doesn't, necessarily fit the crime where it won't deter them from either doing it again or other people from doing it, where Mm -hmm. it's either jail time or the fines are in the tens of thousands of dollars to really make an impact to say, even if they say, well, I didn't know about this law. Well, you better know about if you're dealing with sharks because it's a $20,000 or $25,000 fine. That's a big fine to me that would bankrupt me if I had to pay that. You know what I mean? And So I would think twice if I had to do that. So you're saying it's the fact this photo went viral might be a positive thing long run because then maybe it creates an awareness of like you do this Possibly. you are totally screwed yeah i mean yeah. maybe for the people who would think that this was okay in the first place mm-hmm. you know knowing that you know the more that this story gets out then they would be like oh okay but the people who are commenting this is wrong this isn't right they know like if they come across it first of all most people who come across a shark aren't going to pick it up whether it's alive or dead, usually they won't pick it up. There's right. some special people out there that would decide to to pick it up, and and so I think it's already a small part of the population. But obviously, it's a it's there's more than we think. I, I think that that more than I would like to know. Yeah, that yeah. actually do that kind of stuff. Now, have you ever come across anyone mishandling a shark? Not, uh, not in person. I have, I have. Oh yeah. When my kids were little, we were in. Florida on no we were in uh, Folly Beach Folly Beach South Carolina and we were watching walking on the fishing pier and someone had I, I think it was a young tiger shark 
on the dock. They had caught it fishing for, you know, flounder, whatever fish they were catching out there. It wasn't flounder, but they caught a small one. It was probably three feet long. And they had reeled it up, and it's like a 30-foot drop. They had cranked it all the way up to the dock, and they were struggling to get the hook out of their mouth. They were just wrangling this poor shark's face with the hook. My daughter at the time, Zoe, was, I think she was 10 years old. And she said, Dad, can you, can you make them stop hurting that shark? Right. And I went up to them. I said, boys, what do you got? Their kids are like, they're like, you know, 18-year-old kids. And like, we can't get their, their hook out of the shark. So I took my knife out of my pocket and I cut the line and I put the shark back in the water. I said, problem right. solved. Right. And they said, but the hook. I yep. said, I don't care about your hook. The shark needs to go back yeah. in the water. You guys are going to kill that thing. It swam away. It seemed to be okay. But I just didn't even ask. Well, I just took my knife and out that's like, and I just acted and I, and I, right. you know, and, and afterwards, and you did the right thing. And afterwards, those kids and I went fishing together. We talked and we fished together and they actually were thankful because they didn't know what to do. They were trying but the con the idea of just cutting a line didn't occur to them because you know their common right. sense was different than my common sense. Right. My common yeah, sense, that, that makes my common sense says get that fish back in the water. Who cares about your hook? Right. Yeah, and it didn't and swallow. I, I get it. that. Yeah. No, and it'll eventually rust off and it'll fall off. And actually, um, there's a lab, a shark lab in uh, University of Miami that actually. Uh, talked about uh, hammerhead sharks. They actually got, the, their research actually got hammerhead sharks protected within Florida waters. And they were saying that the stress that hammerhead sharks actually go through when being caught can actually kill them. Oh, sure. And so the best thing to do is just cut the line once you realize that you have a hammerhead on the line. Cut the line, you can leave the hook in because not having that stress of being caught and fighting a fishing line is better for them than actually trying to get the hook out and putting through them through more stress. So there's more likelihood that they're going to survive. The hook will eventually rust out, fall off, and then they'll be, they'll be okay after a while. Yeah, they'll be fine. And I've actually seen, not sharks, but I've seen lots of fish pass fishing hooks. Like there's, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I once caught a fish that had a piece of fishing line hanging out of its butt. I pulled on it, and on the end of the line was a, was a half-rusted-out hook. So it was gut hooked, oh, wow. and the, the fisher person had the uh, the foresight to cut the line rather than battle a hook out of a fish, and the fish was fine. Yeah, yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah, and that's it's my recommendation. Any anytime you get, you foul hook a fish, cut the line, or if it, you struggle to get the hook out of the fish's mouth, cut the line. Just put right. the fish back in the water because. And there's been some studies done on pike, where they they've they've measured how long it takes them to get hooks out of their own mouth. Pike can actually get a hook out of their face, their own faces. So, wow. and they, I can't remember the That's data crazy. on that, but they, but they measured it with treble yeah. hooks. Yeah. So the, the animals know their bodies and they can figure stuff out, get them in the water. That's it. Just Absolutely. stop it. Anyway. <laughs> exactly. Well, this story. is, a, this yeah. is, this was an interesting story. Uh, definitely, you know, you don't want to see people doing this. Um, if you do see people doing this, highlight it on social media, make it go viral as much as possible, but also report it to like fish and wildlife commission or, or whoever is, in this, that country's authority, try and figure out where it's from. Uh, and usually they, they're able to find out, you know, who it is, where it's from, because people put their pictures right on there. That's what always makes me laugh. Oh, I see, I um, see it all the time on fishing pages. I, you'll see people post, right. post illegal bag limits. And I comment <laughs> onto them, you, you know that you're not anonymous here and you've broken the law. And then I get, yeah. oh, you're a Debbie yeah. Down or don't be such a narc. I'm like, I'm not narking. You told on yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you you yeah. added yourself, yeah. dude. Yeah. I saw people that went, you know, for here in Canada with the whole COVID thing, if you go across the border and you come back, you have to quarantine in a hotel. If you don't, 
you're, you can get a fine, like a $3,000 fine. There were people who put it on TikTok that they were, they were walking across the border uh, and that they just got into the car and they went home. But they put it all on video. So yeah. if anybody wanted to catch them, they could catch them. So I love people like that. They make it so much easier yeah. to get a hold of them. Uh, but anyway, thanks for that. That was an awesome one. The second uh, the second story that I brought is actually really not a story, but it's just something that we've been talking about every once in a while on the podcast. And that is protecting 30% of land and ocean mm-hmm. uh, by 2030. So it's the 30 by 30 concept. People have been hearing about it. It's really catchy. Uh, a lot of international organizations have, uh, have kind of caught on to it and really rallied around it. Um, it's it's the decade of the ocean right now, so it's really a, a focus to protect 30% of the ocean. Conservation uh, was it the Convention on Biological Diversity CBD uh, is all about the the protect 20% of land 20 or 30% of land, 30% of water or oceans by 2030. Um, so all of these. These dates, 30 by 30 is everywhere. Even the Blue Nature Alliance, which I had on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, is all about protecting 30% of the ocean by or protecting it's contributing to that protection by protecting up to 5% of the global ocean by then. And they're all great targets. Uh, when I first started in in my career, Clay, we were talking about protecting 20% was the optimal. Mm-hmm. Uh, 30% was the goal, and now it seems to be 30% is the optimal. Uh, but the thing that I, I I still am a little skeptical is this, you know, the UN's behind it, you know, IUCN's behind it, all the big organizations are behind it and trying to focus to that. But my question to you, because I find you are a little bit more of a realist, a little bit more of a of, of a pragmatist. Like you just think about these things, and you just kind of like you what you, you ask the you play a little bit devil's advocate. So I want to ask you: Do you think thirty by thirty is realistic? I well, you're talking globally, right? Globally, yeah. Well, how much of the ocean is already protected? Right now, fully protected mm-hmm. is less than five percent. And what does protected mean? Protected means if you have an area, no extractive uh, disturbance. So no fishing, Mm -hmm. no oil and gas, no deep sea mining, um, anything that would extract, you know, resources from that area. Right. Now, is it reasonable to assume, given the vastness of our ocean, that there is 30% of the ocean not being touched at any given time? It's a good question. I would bet there is because it's ocean's big. It's huge. It's 70% so you must have, of this you must have learned that in college when you were going to biology school, and and the, the, the like the the big how how big is the ocean and and I think that so I think the ocean reasonably thirty percent is not crazy because we can't right. we can't use the whole ocean. It's just too much ocean, right? You know, and that leaves a lot of ocean left to use. Uh, and I, right. I I would bet. But the problem is, is, is we could easily protect parts of the ocean we don't want to use, <laughs> so we can call it done, right? You can easily, you can go out in the mid-Atlantic, in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, where there's very few, very few things ever happening, and carve out a big section and call that protected. But who cares? Because it's not a spot anyone wants to harvest from anyway, or we want to drill from anyway because it's far too deep, or far too mm-hmm. far away from anything. So... It depends on how you what how you're defining protecting. Most people, when they're talking about conservation, I just like lay people. I'm not a scientist. They're talking about almost like inland waters or shoreline areas or places where most of the animals and diversity is going to be. You know, the things we mm-hmm. see. 
So I think if the, if the goal the goal is to protect stuff near shore, it's harder. Uh, and then on land, right. I thirty percent is an awful big ask. Canada probably could do it. Right. You know, the United States, I don't know how much conservation land we have here in the United States already. I bet we've got Yeah, a I don't know the whole good, percentage. Yeah, yeah let's see. How but much? But still, you, got a lot of, you still have a lot of green space. Well, we do. Plenty of room. Yeah. Yeah, even like not not just green space, but like desert. You've got, you know, um, you've got a lot of northern states that are, you know, not highly populated and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, so 12%, 12% of the ICS currently is protected. Right. So we're we're doing pretty twelve percent. That's not bad. I don't know how that compares yeah. to the rest of the world, but that's almost get this halfway there. So the question yeah. is, could the United States I can't speak for the world, I can you know, I'm a stupid American, I don't know I don't know any other country's names. Um but <laughs> but could the United States get to thirty percent? I think we probably could without a whole lot more yeah. work. Because we have those you know, we half of Maine is forested. It's not protected, but it's forested and you got out in the middle of the country there are there's miles and miles and miles and acres and acres of nothing right. miles are like kilometers only different in case <laughs> <laughs> only weird only only impossible like only impossible to do math with that's all <laughs> yeah, exactly. so so i don't exactly. think it's impossible but i you know yeah. it, it's when we're when, when I, I i taught college for a while and we talked about goal setting and we mm-hmm. talked about setting SMART goals. And the second part of SMART goal, the third part, so the A part means achievable, right? And right. I think 30 by 30 is not achievable in the short term. And it's one of those goals that because it's so big, it feels impossible. If we said, mm-hmm. let's do 15% and we're already at 12, well, that sure, feels more we can add three right. more on. It doesn't impact. Okay, now we're at twelve. Right. Can we get to? Tw- we're at fifteen. Can we get to twenty? Sure, no right. problem. And, and just incrementally yeah. increase those goals. So when you set that thirty by thirty thing, it sounds great. It ain't gonna happen because humans well, can't think-, think that way. We need to think small chunks. <laughs> small. We'll get there. Well, and, and and ideally that's the way it's. They tried to do it in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just you know you have different governments that come in. They have different priorities. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the same thing with climate change, like reducing greenhouse gases. You know, now we're at let's we're always at let's get below 1990 levels. But as we get further and further away from 1990, the target almost seems not not achievable. You know, as you know, as we're trying to hit 1990, then it's like, oh, let's just hit 2000. Right. You know, levels of 2000, or let's let's hit levels of 2010. But if you set those find- smaller goals up ahead of time rather than lofty goals. Then you celebrate success, and that success will For feed sure. those pleasure parts of our brain and motivate <laughs> yeah. us to do more. If you say, let's reach 1990 goals for climate, and we can't get there in the 10 years we gave ourselves, that right. failure demotivates the whole process, yeah. and it pushes people away from it. Whereas if you say, yeah. hey, let's get to, to 20, you know, 2015, well, we can do that, and that feels good, and then, well... Now we can do five more, you know. Now we can do more. Yeah. Yeah. I I I'm a little bit more um pessimistic on the on the idea. And and the reason why You're so is, rarely pessimistic. I like this. I know, right? Yeah. I'm the opt I'm the yeah. optimist usually, but when I've seen this happen before. Uh in Canada I've seen it happen before uh, and it takes the right government 
with the right promise and and to be able to put it together and mm. and you know the government we have now has actually increased our protected area within our 200 nautical mile zone our ex, ex, uh, economics exclusive economic zone easy uh, and so like in Canada we've actually increased from like l- like just over one percent to about 15 percent protected area mm-hmm. uh, and we're moving even more I think we're closer to 20 percent now and then we're going to try and even build so now it's getting a little bit more and I think the U.S. is is again a little the same but they've had some problems over the past four years. Somebody was in charge that didn't really like the ocean. Uh, and so, or like the ocean for different reasons. And so like brought, you know, took away some of the, the protected areas or the sanctuaries that, that, that the U S had. So that's going to have to come back into place to mm-hmm. contribute to that, that percentage. I think when it comes to a country managing the, the space, the oceans within their exclusive economic zone, it's a little easier they can enforce it a little easier because like like the US and Canada have a coast guard mm-hmm. so they have active duty people who are always going out and always well it's still tough but they're surveying marine protected areas whether it be via satellite whether it be via boat uh, via airplane it doesn't matter they're actually surveying these areas on a fairly regular basis there's still challenges involved but it's still fairly regular basis when it comes to the high seas outside the country's exclusive economic zone now we're talking trouble. You're right. There's probably a lot of places that are not really touched a lot by by boats, but there are places where they're t- touched a lot by boats, uh, by fishing vessels, uh, by uh, whalers, by poachers, so forth. But it's hard to figure out where they're going and how long they're staying in there and where they go after. Enforcement on the high seas is almost, it's nearly impossible. Because and I hate because to say, it, but Sea so, Shepherd can't so be big. everywhere. Yeah, no. <laughs> because it's so big, yeah. right? And and even though Sea Shepherd seems to be the only person only organization that's doing it, they have seven boats. Right. And they can only do so much. And and because the UN doesn't really have any boats, uh, and they're they don't really have any legal sort of action that they can take, enforcement becomes really difficult. So yes, we could actually take on paper and, and, and sketch out some, you know, uh, you know, marine protected areas in the high seas, but they mean nothing without enforcement. That's where the paper parks term comes in, where you can still extract and not get punished for it. Right. Then within the exclusive economic zone, within each country, you have to convince countries to do it, or the countries themselves have to do it. Their, their citizens have to convince their governments to do it. But then the problem comes, like, are they going to enforce it? Are they going to put the money and the resources together to enforce it? And when they do enforce it, are the fines going to be big enough to make people deter them from from doing illegal things. Right. Because things. Andrew, what is, what is a fine? Well, a lot of times a fine is like a couple, like a couple of thousand dollars, but what's it mean? You know, or what, even a slap on the wrist. A, a fine is a fee for service. If you've got the money, who cares? I pay the fine. That's true. So, you That's know, true. like I, I corporations I, are like that. Yeah. I was looking at one of our, I was, I was out boating there, Dan on Lake Winnipesaukee, one of our biggest, our biggest lake here in New Hampshire. And there's an island out there that someone built a house that takes up all the land mass on the island. There is no vegetation left. There's just a house right. on an island. And I did a little research, and they had paid millions in fines happily. Wow. They happily paid it because of fee for service. Now, if it was wow. a fine, plus there, there's actually a criminal thing where they're going to jail or something else uh, or they have to alter the house yeah to nope. go back to what it was all they have to do is keep paying fines and, and those fines will carry on they'll pay fines for years on this house but they don't care right because they, they have throwaway yeah. money and doesn't matter what the fines are so yeah you got the dough yeah. you know fee for yep. service yeah a bigger hurt that's, would, that's a bigger sorry, part man. would be for those big oil companies and stuff would be 
uh, to get rid of the subsidies and tax breaks they get. Because then right. that's bigger than a fine. They're happy to pay the exactly. fine because that's like bribe money. Sure. Exactly. Yep. Well, it's like what the what the Chinese government's actually proposing to do this year is to uh, instead of just fines for illegal fishing when they when they discover one of their distant fleet boats come back with illegal fish uh, or unreported fish or unregulated fish, uh, then they will um, they actually they actually fine the the captain, but also suspend him for three years. So right. now he has no income and no way of getting income through the fisheries industry. And they'll fire the man. They'll, they'll uh, let go of the manager for three years as well. So yeah, that uh, becomes a really interesting concept, yeah. you know, when it comes to there. Now, whether they're going to enforce that is another question. Well, that is part of their new policy. But you don't need to enforce everything. We have to right. have enough enforcement where you, the potential to get It's like, you know, like you speed when you drive sometimes, right, Andrew? Yep. Yep. Busted. Um, I used to drive. I used you, to drive more. Yeah. Now you're getting you're getting three months to the gallon right now because of lockdowns. Um, <laughs> exactly. But but when you drive, you can speed without getting busted, right? Yeah. Because the odds of a cop being there when you're speeding are probably pretty low. But the fact that randomly he could be there is enough to deter most people from speeding yeah. all the time. And I think what exactly. we need to just have enough of a deterrence where the potential to get caught is high enough where you don't do the things. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's it. And that's, and that's the thing right now. And in, in my opinion, a lot of the, the punishment, you know, is not enough to deter people from doing the crime. And just like you said, a fine is just a fee for service. And if people have enough money, they'll really, they're willing to pay for it. So don't you wish you had enough money? <laughs> oh man. I don't know. I don't, I don't even know if I could do it just from an ethical point of view, but no. you, like you said, there's, there's, People have different sort of sets of common sense, and and it and it becomes uh, it just becomes relative to what people are willing to get away with, or what people are willing to put into place to to do what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes, you know, you're you're bound by the law, uh, but you're also restricted by the law, even if you're on the the side of the quote unquote good guys or mm-hmm. good good people. You know, it just really depends. So it's I just tough. thought it was an interesting question to to go over just to see, yeah. you know, if we can do it. Will we get to thirty percent everywhere globally? I don't know, but I think it it is um, allowing countries to really focus on this, and I think there's more of a focus this time around than there has been in the past. So yeah. I'm super excited well, to, to interestingly to last year I didn't air this piece, but last year during a lockdown I interviewed uh, the some libertarians in New Hampshire. Libertarian, I don't know if you know that party. It's a yeah political yes. party basically. They're like it's more know, about the economy than anything else. It's right? about their personal. It's it's very personal. You know, right. I do what I want. You do what you want. But I asked them how they would handle handle the oceans, overfishing, yeah. conservation, that sort of thing. If we don't have government involvement, and they said that, and and I didn't air this because it was just so outlandish. They said you just sell the ocean to anyone who wants it. You divide it up, and oh. you can do whatever you want with your space on the ocean. So if you choose to be a conservationist, then you can conserve that plot of ocean. You know, and not leave people, right. and people can't fish in it. And if you are not, then you can do what you want with your space. Yeah. Like, yeah. So you're which, saying whoever has the most is money. What we've done with land in a lot of places. Yeah. Whoever has the most money wins is what you're saying. And they said, yeah, but people with money, yeah. some of them, some of them are conservationists. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, but are enough of them conservationists? Right. And the answer is no. Yeah, exactly. Not nearly. Can you imagine if that would happen? That would yeah. be. 
I would be very afraid for the oceans if that happened. I'm glad it doesn't. But anyway, interesting question. We'd love to hear what you think. If you uh, join us on the Speak Up for Blue Facebook group, uh, you can go speakupforblue.com forward slash group. Uh, Let us know what you think. Do you think... uh, 30 by 30 will actually happen. Love to hear why you think it would or wouldn't. Um, it's always interesting to have these types of discussions. Thanks, Andrew. That was fun. Appreciate it. You go to speakupfortheblue.com and uh, check out all the work that Andrew does up there in Canada. And that's it. Podcast is over. You've wasted a bunch of time when you should have been fishing. Big fat thanks to Andrew Lewin from the Speak Up for the Ocean Blue podcast. Big thank you to Steve Angers from the North Country Angler Fly Shop. Thanks to Wally Pleasant for our theme music, and thanks for Diane's Bath Salts for our news theme. And of course, thanks to Boatsetter, Boatsetter.com, for supporting this podcast financially. It makes a big difference. And thank you to all the Patreon subscribers, too. Could not do it without all your help. So until next time, follow the code of the fish nerd, spawn early and often. Never trust a free lunch with strings attached, and swim against the current every chance you get. Whether you're we fly did. fishing in a stream, a getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. Just for the halibut! Fry it in a basket or broiled in a pan, eat it raw like you're in Siam, fish nerds, fish nerds. Fish Nerds, it's a podcast.